Good morning, church. How are we doing this morning? We doing good? Yeah? Well, we welcome you here today. I'd like to read a scripture to you as we get started. We still got folks coming in. Um, Psalm 89 says this. It says, I will sing of the Lord and his great love forever. With my mouth, I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. For I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you have established your faithfulness in heaven itself. We serve a faithful God. Amen. We need to remember that and be reminded of that and remind one another of that. So let's have you stand and we're going to sing about that now. I can count on one thing The same God that never failed Will not fail me now You won't fail me now In the waiting The same God who never late Is working all things out You're working all things out Oh yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley, and yes, I will bless your name. Oh, yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy for all my days. Oh, yes, I will. And I can count on one thing. I can count on one thing. The same God that never fails will not fail me now. For you won't fail me now. No window waiting. The same God who's never late is working all things out. You're working all things out.
our song. I searched the world, but he couldn't feel me. Man's empty praise and treasures of faith are never enough. Then you came along. Put me back together again. Every desire is now satisfied. And here in your love, oh, 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 there's nothing better than you. Oh, there's nothing better than you. Oh, there's nothing. Nothing.
give a light. You are love. You bring light to the darkness. You give hope. You restore every heart that is broken. In Today, we're thankful that He restores life. You give a light, you are love. You bring light into the darkness. You give hope, you restore every heart that is broken.
Father, you are great. You are powerful. You are worthy of all praise. God, we are thankful that you love us and you care about us and you showed that in the gift of your son that we even took even a, a really close look at last week. What he did on that cross for us, we did not deserve. You don't need anything from us, but yet you still desire a relationship with us and we are thankful for that today. God, I would pray that you'd help us to listen to what it is that you have for us today because we do know and we recognize that your words are words of life. And God, I would pray that you'd breathe life into us today as a result of the hearing of your word. Pray that you would change us. Help us to have the right perspective that you want us to have as we even head into this week. Because we don't know what you have in store for us this week, but you do. The people that you want us to run into, minister to, share the good news with, whatever it would be. We pray that you'd find us doing your will. In Christ's precious name, amen. And you can be seated. Well, it's, uh, it's the week after Easter, but don't you wish we could have gone on for 15 more minutes at least with the worship? Amen. Yeah. What an awesome uh, thing this morning. I, I hope you're thankful for that team. They'll be back up here to help us in just a moment. But also, uh, it was pointed out to me something, so I'm, I'm going to do something um, this morning for your sake, if that's okay. Is it all right if I take this jacket off? Are you okay? <laughs> Not so loudly, all right? I'm going to do this up here. Uh, it turns out that it might be just a little formal for the fact that just a few weeks ago, you guys were watching church in your jammies, and now... We got a suit on, so in order to do this appropriately, I think you got to roll your sleeves up, right? We, uh, it just highlights for me, there's a lot of changes in our world, and uh, uh, not all of them are bad, uh, but not all of them are good, right? We tend to focus on only the bad things, and so I, I would challenge you right now to make a short list of those things that are actually good that have happened as a result of this, but one thing that... Uh, I want to remind you of is that uh, we've always wanted from the very beginning to be a church that was accessible. And so we've had a lot of questions that have come to us in this last season, but they've kind of come uh, back channel. Uh, you know, a friend of a friend is asking this question and a friend of a friend has this observation. And uh, I just want you to understand in a world that's pretty fractured with leaders who can't hear truth and people who do not uh, want to listen, and also those folks who are easily offended, we tend to believe that we, if we have a question, it's just not uh, going to be of value to anybody else, or it's going to be quickly just met with anger. Um, we really do want to hear from you. I, I've had questions this last week about uh, masks and uh, where are we going. I've had questions about politics. I've had questions about what's going on in the culture around us. I've had questions about uh, even uh, folks that I quote and things that uh, we bring up in front. And, uh, and I want you to know those are all, those are good questions. Uh, if you want to know who I would actually recommend that you read as a devotional, uh, I, I can give you some names. 
I quote a lot of folks up here uh, because I believe that some of the things that are said will help us highlight truth, but I wouldn't say that you should follow all of them devotionally, all right? I've quoted different folks from uh, J.D. Greer and uh, Tim Keller to Malcolm X and Homer Simpson, okay? <laughs> Trying to highlight a point, but I would, uh, I would dare you to put together a useful Homer Simpson devotional. I don't believe that would be useful, and I don't recommend him as a leader in your home, okay? Just trying to highlight some information. There are good things, though, said by people that are not us. And the Apostle Paul, uh, even when he would bring up to other cultures their own leaders, it instantly caused them to, lead in, to lean in and begin to listen a little differently because he understood them from their culture and what they believed. He could say what they said, what their hearts were saying in their own words. Uh, do you know the people around you that well? So that's one of our goals here. But here's what I'm going to invite you to do. If you have questions and you still are uncomfortable coming to an elder or to me or to Pete, just send them even anonymously. You don't even have to sign it uh, other than your email will be on there, all right? <laughs> send it to uh, our office or info at Salem Heights Church. And uh, we're not going to out you or say, oh, no, I got this terrible question. We really do want to engage with those things. We have to work at relationship, right? And that's a little bit of what we're focused on just for a few moments this morning, a reminder of the importance of community. I want you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm going to set this down here. 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to be looking at the first 10 verses in here. As you're turning there, uh, I get captivated with kind of what's going on in, in all kinds of things within the world right now, but there's actually a place uh, called the Fermi Lab. I don't know if anybody knows about that, but instead of studying great big things that you can see on Discovery Channel, you know, with uh, uh, the universe uh, that, that we can see, animals and creatures and all the beautiful things and the variety that is around us, they study these tiny little itty-bitty particles. And you may not think that that makes any kind of a difference, but they've actually discovered a quality of a tiny little particle in the universe called a muon right now that has a wobble. And I believe that this muon has actually picked up this wobble during coronavirus because it's been sitting at home eating too much chicken, okay? But it's wobbling in a different way, and the result is that it is entirely changing the model for physics and the standard model of how they understand the universe. If these calculations are accurate, it's going to upend how they know what they know. Right? This is crazy. How do they do this? Let me just give you a ridiculous... If you're a physicist in here, please try super hard not to be offended at this reduction I'm about to do, okay? But in essence, a group of scientists get together and they have a proposition and they tell you this is exactly what is going to be found, this truth. And then they go into this lab and using this particle beam with magnetic strength, they begin to direct this beam until these little tiny guys bang into each other enough to, to create a big enough explosion that they can study it, and they study the results of these particles banging into each other. And it is shocking what they are able to discover. With those magnets, they're able to actually direct the activity of tiny particles, and what they discover are, one, they discover new things about that particle, 
But two, in a much greater way, they have an understanding now more clearly of what's happening in the universe. Why do I tell you that? When we take a look at 1 Peter chapter 2, we literally are looking at a proposition that's been giving to, given to us. Only the person writing it is not guessing whether or not something is true. They are telling you something that is true. And then in a lifelong experiment guided by Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, the magnetic pull of those two cannot be stronger. Guided by their presence through their activity in our life, we bang into a whole bunch of other people. And at the end of our lives, we see what Scripture says about who we are and how we're supposed to live. And you know what we discover? We discover something new about ourselves, our place in the world, but we discover that we're not the center of the universe, all right? Just turn to somebody next to you that's not your spouse and say, you're not the center of the universe, okay? Just say that real quick. Okay. Pause. You can tweet that later and put it on Facebook, okay? You heard that here. You're still saying it to people. Now it's, now it's going to get offensive. Okay? <laughs> if you get up out of your chair to go to somebody and say that, we might not be able to do Lord's Supper. Why is this of value? In, second, in 1 Peter chapter 2, we find out how it is that we're actually brought together. You were intended to be in community if you are not in community with other believers, you are outside of the experiment. You are not going to learn truths about you, your place in the universe, or your relationship with Christ in the fullest way. You won't. Those things won't change on whether or not they're true. But you will walk through life with truths that are undiscovered. That's what I want you to think about. Last week I shared with you that for the first time in the history of the United States that they see less than 50% of people going to a church, a synagogue, or a mosque. Not just evangelical faith, but any kind of religion in general. There's a drop. Some uh, believe it's just because of our season, but I believe that there is something that has happened in the hearts of people that says that this no longer matters. We need to understand why we need community, and why we need to focus on Christ. First Peter chapter 2. Let's read together, starting in verse 1. Let's stand as we read this passage together. Peter, the apostle, says this, and, and he's been sharing with them their value in Christ and the need that they have to focus in the midst of suffering on Christ and his soon return. And he says, therefore, in light of the truths about Christ, he says, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Imagine if you were just to put that uh, on your TV or computer screen before you clicked on any of the news. Like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, if you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, Jesus, a living stone rejected by people but chosen and honored by God, you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built up to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ Christ. 
For it stands in Scripture, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. So honor will come to you who believe. But for the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone. A stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over. They stumble because they disobey the word and they were destined for this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Isn't that good news? You may be seated. I just want you to notice a few things because we uh, actually, when Pastor Ron was preaching through First Peter uh, and taking this, I think we did this, I think it took us two months to do this section. Uh, that might be short. I mean, <laughs> it could have been a year. But we walked through this passage, there are so many gems in here and so many things to unpack. We're just going to focus on one aspect of it, and it won't do it entirely justice. But I want you to notice a couple of things. And it says at the very beginning, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, all envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants desire the pure milk of the word. Now, he doesn't just grab that idea of new, newborn infants in order to give you a, a picture of why you should desire the word. You should desire the word. Uh, infants don't just take in uh, milk, you know, one time a day or once a week, you know. Um, they don't just wait till Sunday morning and say, oh, it might be a good time to eat, right? They are constantly craving the, the milk. They are constantly craving nourishment. They are constantly uh, trying to make sure that they can have more of it. That's the picture of newborn infants. But why does he say, like newborn infants, do this? Because if you are filled with malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander, you're probably wandering around in the world whining like an infant, right? Just pause, say la, real quick, okay? What has our world seemed like in this last year and a half? Does it seem more mature? Does it seem like you have a better uh, ability to interact with adults? Does it feel safe to be able to share your opinions? Or do you just hear people stomping their foot and say, do it now? Man, we live in a world that has regressed from maturity, if there was any of it, into infancy. Peter says when you're malicious, when you're deceptive, when you say something that you know isn't entirely the truth, when you do something in order to get something, and the way that you have gone about that is not on the up and up. You've tried to go uh, on the sly. When you say that you believe one thing, but when the circumstances change, you actually do the opposite. That's hypocrisy. Envy, when you want what other people have and you can't have it, so you desire to steal it, you desire to take it. It's not just that you desire what other people have, but you're angry that they have it and you want them to lose it as well. Or slander. 
Anytime you hear somebody else's name, you just have to say something negative about them before you can get a word in that's positive. That's infancy. That's acting like babies. He says instead, and this is always what we tell kids, right? If you can't say something nice, yeah, don't say anything at all or put a bottle in it. Just wait till you mature. So he starts by highlighting their infancy. That's not our focus this morning. He also goes on to talk about the beauty of Christ. The tractor beam in this passage, folks, that's holding everything together is our relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you're trying to understand anything that's going on at church and you don't have a walk with Christ, this will make no sense. Christ is that weightiness, that centrality. The truth about his death, burial, and resurrection that we celebrated last week is what pulls everything together. That's it. Christ is everything. So we have these propositions Peter's giving us and that magnetic pull of Christ and the Holy Spirit through this passage. But he says something about us that I want us to focus on because I think it's been lost in this last year and a half. And that is why you need community. It says, as you come to him, a living stone, rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God, you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built into a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I want to just highlight a couple of thoughts this morning that are what you and I, the particles in this experiment, actually experience as we yield to the truth of this passage. As we bang into each other, there are certain things that are revealed, okay? And the first thing that you need to understand, if you're here today, is that if you came to Jesus, you came to a community. To come to Jesus is to come to community. Look what it says here. It says, as you come to him, a living stone, rejected by people but chosen and honored by God, you yourselves as living stones are being built up to a, ho- a holy priesthood, all right, through Jesus Christ. What is he? He is the chief cornerstone. Here he is, a foundation that's been laid, and don't we all need a foundation for living in our life? Jesus Christ, the chief foundation stone, the living stone, this animated foundation to the building is the corner piece to everything. It holds everything together. It locks all of the other building materials into place. So here is Jesus Christ, that foundation. He says, as you come to him, well, why in the world would you come to him? Because the moment that you gave your life to Christ, you became a part of something bigger than you. Don't you know that? Isn't that a beautiful truth? And as soon as you became a part of something bigger than you, it says that by God's grace, not your ability, not your clarity, not your wishful thinking, not your desire, you don't go and say, God, you know where I would really fit in well. You don't do that. It says that God takes you from where you were in the dirt and the muck and the uselessness of our lives. He cleans us up and he says, there's a foundation stone. He fits us perfectly for that building and he places us. The reason you're here today, if you have a relationship with Christ, is because you matter to Jesus and he has placed you in this building as an important part of what he's doing kingdom-wide in this world right now today. But he placed you in community. You got placed into this 
relationship with other people because of your relationship with the cornerstone. It can't just be the cornerstone and one brick happily ever after, okay? That's not a building. It's not just you and him. In fact, all the way through this passage, it's collective words that are being used. You all, you all, you all, you all. This is what I want you to do. You came into community. Uh, Near our house, there's a a building project that's going on, and I just took a picture on the outside, apparently at 9.37 a.m. No, that's what time it is today. Uh, Right out here. In the front of this house, there's a building that has gone up, and everything is all orderly except for this pile. I went out there. I actually asked uh, the builder, what is with this wood? He said, actually, a bunch of that wood is straight. Uh, It's good. It's the same exact wood that we had on the inside of the house, but this wood is just sitting out there because uh, there was no place for it. You want to know the difference between the wood that's sitting out in front of that house and the wood that is inside that house in five years? One pile is just going to rot away. It will only ever be what it was when it started, and that is just a a stick or a piece of building material. It's just out there on its own. Can you actually be a useful building material and not be a part of a house? Yeah, you can. There they are. But over the next years, the house right next door, our house, is is, uh, coming up on its 100-year anniversary. All of the other building materials inside that home get paid attention to, and they still are standing because there is a, a master of the house, for lack of better terms, uh, that actually is just watching over it, making sure if one part begins to degrade, do you know that that part will impact the entire house? So that part gets shored up and taken care of and fixed because of its relationship to the whole. So here are these building materials. They may even elect. Let's imagine for a moment that they have a will of their own, and they're like, you know what? I don't want to go inside there, get all painty, and uh, be stuck in a corner. I like being out here in the sunshine. I like my freedom. Well, eventually, that's just going to rot away. That building material will be useless within a short season. In fact, one rain one rain sun cycle, and those boards begin to warp, and they become... They, they go from useful to useless. Eventually, they just deteriorate. You were born for community. Now, you might enjoy a day in the sun, and who doesn't? But what God has called you to is something that will actually be for your benefit. When you came to Jesus, you came to a community. But also, I, I want you to notice in this passage that there are some unspoken things that are necessary for us to understand in order for this passage to unfold. And that is that we are shaped by and for community in order to praise God. We are shaped by and for community in order to praise God. You yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Verse 9 says, For you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. 
God has shaped you, called you, and made you into a people. Now, I wish we had time just to work through all of those words. We won't be able to this morning what it means to be a chosen race and a royal priesthood. We're just going to touch on the surfaces of those beautiful words. But here's what you need to know. You were put into not just a foundation, not an, an immobile thing, but there is this active living stone reaction that you have to the people that are around you that is important and necessary and profound. God placed you inside this relationship with other people, and I want you to understand that God will shape you by the interference of others. He'll shape you by the interference of others. If you're just sitting out in the yard, disconnected to everything else that's going on, you do not get to be a part of the whole, but also there is, in order to put those boards into place, do you know that quite often they have to do some cutting? With those materials, they don't just come pre-packaged. Okay, this is house material, right? If you have sheetrock, they've got to cut it. If you've got uh, paint, they've got to spray it. They've got to do something in order for it to relate rightly to the rest of the building. And there is a process in your life as well. And God is at work in your life. But do you know that also he uses the people that are around you to help shape you? When you go to the beach, you quite often can pick up these really smooth stones. Do you know that? They'll sell them in all the shops. They sell all kinds of crazy stuff at the beach, right? Um, But one of the things that they sell that have constantly been popular are these stones that are extra smooth. And then when they run out of those, when they run out of those that they can just find on the beach, uh, they actually manufacture those stones. Do you know how they manufacture smooth stones that are enjoyable to pick up, that your kids, as soon as they feel them, say, I want one of these, mom and dad? They take rocks and they stick them inside a tumbler. And you know what they do? They bang them into other rocks. And the edginess disappears. Just let that soak for a moment. Uh, I don't like being in community. I don't like being with those other people. By the way, what I am not saying is that the only community that is of value is this great big group. In fact, I would suggest that you can't be known. This rock tumbler takes a whole bunch of rocks, just takes a few of them, sticks them inside there, and begins to tumble those together. And the edginess disappears. That smoothness, that approachability, that desire to be near, that rock comes from the fact that they have been banging into other rocks. And the parts that are a little hard, that snag on other people, that are irritating, that are um, unenjoyable to handle, that disappears. How? Through the constant friction and interaction of other people. Now let me just ask you this. Has it ever felt like when you're in a small group or even in your home church, all of a sudden some things about you got exposed and you didn't really love it, right? You have a choice at that moment. Stay in the rock tumbler and lose the hard edges See something about yourself that is a little fractured, that's a little broken. Agree with those that are banging into you about those things and lose the hard edges. Become more appealing. Become more connected. Become someone that it is nice to be near. Or you can separate yourself. Once again, thunder eggs are beautiful, right? But you can't see the real beauty of them until somebody fractures them. Hard edges on the outside, it just looks like a lump of rock. 
if you cut it in half and you can see the beauty. There is something about your interaction with other people that God has designed into the process. He is at work. He is the ultimate architect. He is the one that knows what is best for your soul. But he has designed you for community to lose those rough edges. But also God shapes us by our dependence. And not just our dependence on others, but by the dependence of others. If you go to Machu Picchu today, you can actually see... um, this amazing set of structures that are still there. If you look, that's much how it looks like. In fact, all the way around the outside edges of uh, this structure, there still are aqueducts that are working today. So they had springs that are active at the top of this massive mountain, and the water that's coming out of those gets all the way through that entire place. If you go down into those, quite often in the middle of the afternoon, they still have folks who have received permission to graze Uh, You know, there are alpacas or whatever the creatures are out in the middle of that like they used to way back in the day. They have areas in there that were uh, supposed to be able to hold grain. And so in order to do that, you got to keep the little rodents out of there, right? And so the the stones are fit together. We have a picture of one of the walls there. Look how these stones are fit together. Hundreds and hundreds of years after they were placed in place... These stones are still standing. The water's not getting all the way through there. Uh, and in order for a little creature to get through there, in order to get to stuff, there's, there's, uh, there's almost no way. Perfectly fit. But I want you to notice something about these stones. Do you notice that they're not all the same shape? Right? Just for a moment, just uh, don't look directly at them. But using your peripherals, look at the people around you. Okay? <laughs> We're not all the same shape. That doesn't just go on the outside. That is also our personalities, the way that we interact with the world, the things that are focused for us. Here in this thing, they perfectly shaped one stone to be able to fit alongside another. Do you want to know who does that in our life? God. God sees you, saves you, cleans you up, and places you in a relationship. Now imagine for a moment that one of these stones says, you know, I I don't really like being there. I want to be in this place over here. In fact, I think I I want to be more central to the cornerstone. I I need to be uh, a part of the base rather than a part of the top. I need to be a part of the top rather than a part of the base. And as you notice in those buildings, some of those stones are shaped differently because if you had the exorbitant amount of weight that some stones have at the bottom, great for a base, terrible for a roof. You don't want those hanging over your head. God says, I've shaped you, I've called you, I've placed you just exactly for a certain place. Will you allow me to place you and allow yourself to be shaped so that you'll fit? Do you know that others are depending on you settling into your calling? You have a calling. Just because it's not up front on a Sunday morning does not mean it's unimportant. In fact, it's probably far superior in importance. We have people that are in desperate need of help. Some of you are beautiful at that. We have folks that are in desperate need of being reached. Have you ever seen our Be Bold guys out on the street? We have people that are desperately in need of connection. They're sick and they're hurting and they're there. And there's so few of us that are what you would call professionals that are able to go. But do you know how many ministers of mercy and grace-filled people and folks that have the Spirit of God and the Word of God and an able 
just a connection when they walk into a hospital room? Do you value those people? Our servants that, that are people of industry, folks who have made it, if you would call it that, in their prospective worlds are putting on jackets and parking cars on the weekend because they value you. Isn't that cool? You ask them what they do. They don't do that all week long. They're not sitting out there for the next six days going, man, it's super boring these six days, but Sunday, whoo. They're out there because they value you. It's part of their relationship, an opportunity to be able to serve you and make this moment happen. Others depend on them. They don't need you to to, to do anything else other than see that value. God has placed you in the body. Why? Others are depending on you settling in. In 1 Kings 6-7, it says that there's actually a moment where the entire temple was built, but it says that inside the city, not a hammer or a chisel or a sound was made. The entire building was slid into place, having already been formed in another place. God had allowed Solomon and the workmen to fully form that out there. The architect uh, had done all of his work, and it's the same way with us. It was a picture of what happens in the church. How is it that just at the right time, the perfect person to be able to answer the need slides into place? Well, our creator actually calls them by name and places them in our building with intention. Not them, you. What are you called to do? Others are depending on you. And a final thought, God shapes us by the wonderment of others. He shapes us by the interference of others, by the dependence of others, and he shapes us by the wonderment. What, what is that word? If you look for a moment at the Taj Mahal, look at this great, big, beautiful place. All these people would come there. But do you want to know what ends up happening? Instead of you saying, wow, that's a beautiful stone, or look at how uh, that, that one stone interacts with the other stones. You know what you don't, you don't do? You, you look at the wonder of the entire building, and you say, who built that? And why? By the way, it was a, a sultan, a king, that basically wanted to honor his dead wife. It was a mausoleum. And it turned into this massive project. Neuschwanstein Castle. If you were to take a look at this, you would wonder, who built this? And why? In fact, this is the castle that Disney uh, took all of its notes from. All right? Built by King Ludwig II. It's only ever had one occupant. The inside it was built as a response. He fell in love with the works of Wagner, and he just wanted to put them on display. And so he built this. They ended up calling him the fairy king leader, all right? He died. They thought he was crazy. He said, no, I'm going to build this, and the world's going to want to come see it. It's going to put us on the map. They said, you're nuts. He died, and 61 million people have been to that building saying, I just want to see it. Why did he build it? He wanted his country to have some fame. There's another one that was just wild to me, the National Center for Performing Arts. If you go to Beijing, here you are. 
This is actually, there's a, a little path that you can see there, but there's actually only just one tunnel. If you go up there, you, this thing is surrounded by this great big looking pool, and it's a picture almost of eternity. Isn't that interesting for, well, you're wondering, what do, are the designers thinking? The question in your mind is who built this and why, but also why would you build a picture of eternity if you're an atheist country? What is it you're trying to connect with? Here it is, the spirit of the people they're trying to put on display, but it causes you to ask questions. Why do I show you these things? What does it look like to be a Christian in this last season? Is it a bunch of fractured little voices separated out there and irritable? Do we look more like the beginning of the chapter or do we look like a connected building? so perfectly constructed, so filled with unity, so thoughtful in its representation, so clearly on mission, so purposeful in the way that we're reaching out to the world, that people look at that connection and they say, there is no possible way you could organize that. Our world can't put together that kind of unity. There is nothing that could happen in this world through leadership that we see that could make sense of this kind of connection. Does the world look at us and say, Who put that together and why? We have achieved community when people stop looking at you and I as individuals and they start looking at Jesus Christ, who is our author and finisher. Amen? And that only happens when we stop trying to be individual building materials out there for our day in the sun and we start settling into being what we are called to be. Amen? We are built for this connection. I just want to jump to the end here, guys, and uh, final thought. Community inspires humble reflection. I've used up our time. It says at the very end here, uh, but we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. How did you receive mercy? Because Jesus Christ, the author and finisher, took care of your salvation. This morning, we're going to close with a moment to reflect. But what it actually says in Scripture, in 1 Corinthians 11, when they participated in the Lord's Supper, it says that there were some that were actually participating in that moment, the Lord's Supper, in an unholy way. They didn't reflect on what Christ's death, burial, and resurrection had not only cost the Lord, but what it meant to them. And they were not remembering that he would come again. When we are right in community, we help each other reflect rightly on Jesus Christ. We turn our attention off of us and onto him. So this is what I'm going to ask you to do, based not only on what we just read, but AJ and the team are going to come up right now. I'm going to pray. I want you to actually reflect and say, Lord God, have I seen you in the wrong way? And if there's anything that the Lord reveals to your heart and he says, hey, this is getting in the way of you being in community. This is getting in the way of our relationship. This is getting in the way of what I want you to be. I want you to confess it. Leave it for the Lord and prepare your heart to take this moment, to take communion. Also, at this time, if you don't have this little cup, it's funny, they were saying at the beginning, this was actually a timer for my sermon. It uh, failed. 
If you don't have one of these, would you just raise your hand and the men will uh, make sure that uh, you get one of those. I'm going to pray. AJ's going to lead us and I want you to reflect. Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to worship you and we thank you for the fact that you didn't just call us to live random lives, but you actually called us into community to be shaped and grown by you. Father, we pray that you would help us captivate us with the truth that we were saved by Christ, but saved for a purpose that starts now, not just in eternity. Today, you have called us into relationship. And we pray, Father, that you would help us to rightly orient ourselves, even right now, if there's any sin or thing that's been holding us back from seeing you right and connecting with the people around us. Father, help us to give that to you in these moments. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
you just to uh, orient yourself a little bit with this symbol, this cup that's in front of you. On one side is bread. There's a tab for that and then the juice. That's the order that we will take those in. Uh, it's an order that goes all, all the way back to the night that Christ was betrayed and he had taken this meal with his men. But I want to remind you of a couple of things. Uh, this is what we do to remember Christ. Uh, this doesn't save you. Uh, it does not make your salvation more secure. Uh, but this nevertheless is a moment between you and the Lord that is serious. It's a reflection. It's an opportunity with pure hearts to remember what it was that he did on our behalf and to look forward to his soon return. Uh, this is uh, for believers. And so we invite you as believers to participate in this with us this morning. We're going to start with the bread. And 1 Corinthians 11 says this. Paul speaking, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. If you flip that over, he goes on to remind us of another symbol, and he says this. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And it closes... It says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Amen. Amen. Father, we're thankful for this time and we're thankful for the way that we can put you on display. And we do ask that you would help us to remember that the purchase price for us to be in community was the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We praise you for that. And we ask that you would help us, Father, to live every single day, honoring you, not just by how we live our personal lives, but how we live in community. Help our lives to put you on display in such a way that others are searching for the reason for the hope that's in us. Father, help us to anticipate every single day the soon return of Christ. We thank you for an opportunity to consider these things. We ask that you'd help us to live them out now in Jesus' name. Amen.
Last week we uh, did a song that we intend to teach to you now. So uh, sing with us if you would. There was a moment when the lights went out When death had claimed its victory The king of love had given up his life The darkest day in history There on a cross they made for sinners For every curse his blood atoned One fire and bread and it was finished But not the end they could have known For the earth began to shake And the veil was Was sacrificed
a bit of praise today. Amen. We put our hands together for him. We look forward to his return soon and imminent. Amen. Hey, thanks so much for being here today. You are dismissed. Go live for him this week.